What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today we've got a very special guest, a historic one. The first female to ever be on Rick's Mind. That's actually not true. There's been quite a few girls on my mind, but this is a dear friend of mine, Desiree Barton. And today we're going to talk about anything and everything under the sun, but in particular, she enlighten me with this concept called fire and i'll let her get into that but without further ado welcome to rick's mind desiree thanks rick happy I'm super, to be here oh well thank you it's been we've been kind of going around in circles with me trying to get you on here and i'm fucking jacked i'm really really thank you for doing this really yeah i'm excited well, i'm honored oh my to be your first female guest well, you're going to be back here, depending on how... You're going to blow my mind. You're going to... FIRE. What is this movement? So, FIRE is Financial Independence Retire Early. And it's a movement that the millennials started and started catching steam. Now it's moving on to Gen Z because the whole idea around FIRE is that... Um, you are financially independent by the time you're 40 or even in your 30s. And it is the ability that maybe you could retire early, but it's more nothing can hold you back financially from what you love, from doing what you love, your passion. And it's pretty incredible because the rate that the next generation is saving in order to do this is huge so they're becoming financially independent and basically having retirement funds already available by the time they're 40 so they're saving at a really rapid pace um where i come into that is being a financial planner i get to work with clients day in and day out and plan for their retirement goals but they're 65, 60 years old. They're going to be more of the baby boomer generation. And the millennials and Gen Z is really coming in and they're shaping a new way of what retirement is. So um, what I, I have the skills being a financial planner to actually help and educate on the investing side and the saving side most efficiently. So if I can, one of my goals this year is to get a bigger reach to Gen Z and give them all the knowledge that they need in order to do this in the most efficient and fastest way. Because uh, even though I love working with my 65, 60-year-old clients, yeah, yeah. I want to be a part of my generation or the next generation, and they're going to be saving a ton. They're going to need the resources if they're going to be successful in this, and it's something that I really believe in personally as well. I do too, but real, what does FIRE stand for? 
just so the listeners can know. Yeah, so it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Okay, and how did you find out about this? Because this is the first time hearing. I mean, maybe like a few months, no, like a few years ago, I think maybe I saw it on Reddit and I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. And then I just kind of dismissed it. But where'd you find yeah. out about this? So it was completely random. Uh, I was at work and I was going through an article and it it was another article popped up on the side and it was titled fire and I just clicked on it and I found that it was something that I was already had in my mind and I wanted to promote. But then it's like, holy cow, okay, there's already a following built around this idea. And so there's a lot of momentum there. And it's easy for me to just jump in and catch that momentum and be able to build it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you can Google. If you just Google fire, there are um, quite a few articles that talk about it. <clears throat> yeah. So but how about, like, what are some of the numbers? Do you know any of the numbers behind, like, how many people are actually engaged in this? Um, so I don't know the numbers of the people that are engaged, Okay. but what I do know is, so fire, the goal is to be completely financially independent by the time you're 40 out of the amount of fire members currently 78 and a half of them will be, will achieve that goal. And then fifth of being financially independent. 15.3% of those will um, retire altogether at 40, meaning they won't pursue another passion or job. They may just travel or, you know, do something else, but they won't have, um, I guess, a salary. Okay, that's so fucking, that's awesome. <laughs> what do you think yeah. the ramifications are? I mean, it makes sense looking at it from a kind of a, a 10,000 foot view, like, You've got artificial intelligence, robots that are replacing humans. So maybe this is a like a I think it's a pretty good idea to try and get the fuck out of Dodge and not have to work. Like, but what do you think the ramifications would be on our retirement or, or uh, our populist slash economy? The economy is the word I'm looking for. Um, with regards to like having so many people exit the workforce early, let's say this momentum catches on and everyone's able to peace out by 40. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I think the idea, or at least my idea behind it is you're going to have an, to have enough money saved in order to live. Yeah. So I think economically, maybe as we transition, so majority of the workforce today is millennials. We're, we're the largest generation in the workforce. We're yeah. going to have Gen Z that's soon going to be passing us up. And if... This does gain significant amount of momentum. I think you it would slightly hurt the economy in these early years because you're not spending as much, you're saving. Yeah. But then once they hit their 40s, some even 30s, you're still going to see a lot of turn and growth in the economy because they're not sitting around. Yeah. Um, they're going to be out doing things. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I think that maybe they could. it could potentially change our economy i think for the better maybe there would be there's this guy named neville and i kind of follow him he um he's my finance guy right you're my finance, Your finance guy no, he's, yeah he's, 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 he's like um 
It's like a Tim Ferriss type, just a, I don't know, like a hacker, Tread right? carefully, like a, Rick. I don't know, just hear me <laughs> out. He's got a podcast. But no. he, he thinks the his his philosophy is we need to get everyone rich so we can all get happy. We need to get rich so you can focus on developing yourself internally, and I want to help you do that. Um, but he said he thinks the economy at some point will be <clears throat> like you're just doing gigs for people, like little yeah. odd jobs and stuff, or there'll be a contract. Like, like DeMarco, you do some of this. Uh, for example, like you're like, hey, I need um, some files edited, and I don't know how to do that, and I'm going to post it to this board, and just, I'm a sound engineer. I'll take that gig. Yeah. I think that maybe in the future that will kind of be where the economy goes to. Yeah, no, I agree because the financial independence part, it's you're financially stable to leave the grind, right? It's not necessarily that you're quitting working. It's just that you can pursue your side hustle. Yeah. So being able to have the flexibility to do that and not having to worry about money. Yes. And that's how people would be happy. Yes. And we all know that... Millennials, Gen Z, we care more about experiences than we do our our more materialistic. Yeah. So I think you are going to see a switch into our economy, maybe, maybe even going back to more service oriented. Yeah. Yeah. If we're trying to create an experience. Yeah. That's, I just think it's cool. Like, so people... A lot of them are afraid, and i be honest, listeners, I was one of these people. I still kind of am. You look at, like, artificial intelligence. It's like they're taking everything up. But if you podcasting wasn't even a job 15 to 20 years ago, people yeah. get paid to play video games. There are professional video, video game players. We will, as humans, create new jobs in the future that are going to be super badass, better than sitting behind a desk reading emails. Like, who knows what it's going to be. Uh, Once uh, a lot of these manufacturing jobs and stuff are eliminated by AI and and robots, Mm -hmm. we're we're going to just invent new jobs. I don't don't know. Oh, absolutely. So we don't need to do those jobs anymore. And as humans, we're not the best candidates for those jobs. But what we are capitalizing on is those relationship, those experiences. That's something that AI is never going to be able to replace. Yeah. And probably will become a bigger part of our work, the work we do. I'm so excited for the future. I'm pretty optimistic. I'm a little less scared than I used to be. But when I find out about stuff like this, I'm like, all right, fuck yeah, I can get behind that. No, Uh, it's going to be great because I was scared too uh, because I actually thought, so when I entered my MBA program and started studying, I thought for sure my job was going to be replaced by a robot in the next five years. Five to ten years. And now coming out of that and really understanding what the AI technology means is we're not going to cannibalize ourselves, right? So we're not going to put all of us out to work. Yeah. We have to survive. Yeah. So it's just changing what we do best and what AI does best 
and being able to shift. Oh, yeah. So how did you, like, figure out that this is the industry that you wanted to go into? Like, what have you always wanted to be inside, like, involved with finance, or is this something that found you? Sort of. Uh, not on the personal investing side. So when I started uh, college and my undergrad, decided I wanted a finance degree, but I was dead set on corporate finance. So I wanted to be an analyst. And uh, I got all the way through school, was graduating, and I was applying to all these analyst positions. Didn't know or have any desire at that point to go into personal finance. And as I was interviewing and I thought I got a job, um, or I was going to get a job offer as an analyst and a good friend of ours, he called, who was also in the same program I was and asked, Hey, how's the job search going? He was a couple terms behind me. I said, Oh, it's really good. I, I, I think I got a job as an analyst. And I said, the only hitch was, uh, I got to move to Arizona for six months at this point, my now husband, we were dating at the time and we just moved in together and we got this really cool apartment and he was a mutual friend of ours. And he basically said like, no, you can't, you can't just leave you and Julian just moved in together. Your life is here. You can't move to Arizona. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to do the long distance thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> and he said, you know, this really cool guy came into our financial club. He talked about personal investing. I really think you should apply. And uh, I said, well, I have nothing to lose. I need a job. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll apply. I'll put my name in the hat. Oh, yeah. So I did. And then I ended up getting a phone interview. And in my mind, I was like, I'm entertaining this, but I am taking that analyst job. But we'll see how far this goes. Got an in-person interview. And I walked into that interview thinking I'm going to be an analyst. And I walked out of that interview and said, I don't want to be an analyst. I want this job. I want to be in personal finance. Um, so I actually got the job offer for the analyst before I heard back from the personal investing. And I turned it down. Oh, shit. Yeah. So uh, I turned it down not having a job, hoping that I was going to get offered the job in personal finance. And took a risk, and it paid off. I Two weeks later, I ended up getting an offer for personal finance and been in that industry ever since. Uh, as my peers, you would probably tell me, I would have died as an analyst. I, yeah, dude. I, yeah. I, it would have been a bad fit. I'm way too social and yeah. Uh, I just you just fucking looking at a Excel sheet. Yeah. No way, dude. <laughs> no, it's not, you made the right choice for sure. Yeah, I think it was meant to be, as the universe telling me not to be an analyst, because I I don't think I would have been successful at it, and I would have been miserable. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of want to go back a little bit. What was your sure. experience in college like? Because I, I, I need to ask this question more because I had my own experience with it, but I'm kind of really curious. We've been friends here, but I've never asked you this uh, question. So what was your experience like? 
So my experience in college, um, I think it was a little bit unique. So I did my undergrad at Portland State University, but prior to that, growing up in a really small town, I was determined to get out yeah, and not get sucked in and become another one of the next generation that stays. Tony. And, yeah, and takes over the family farm. Yeah. So I had really big dreams, even too big for myself. Mm. I told myself I want to go to Santa Barbara University, and I was getting out of St. Paul and had my sights set on the horizon, got in, uh, tried to break up with my boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I moved down there for about a week. And realized that I was trying to prove something. This wasn't what I actually wanted. So uh, mom drove me down, unpacked. And a week later, she never left. (laughs) A week later, (laughs) she helped me pack up everything back in the car. And we drove home. And I got home and said, what am I going to do? I don't have a plan. And my parents were really great. And they said, oh, you'll figure it out. Get a job. Find what you, find what did, you want. Did, did you have, like, any, any shame? Like, did you feel defeated? Like, fuck, I can't do this. Like, what, what were you feeling at this time? When I was down there? Yeah, when you were yes. down there and you made the decision, like, oh, Like, pure anxiety. So, like, I, it was just all wrong. Like, I couldn't sleep. I, and I, a lot of it was me fighting myself and being honest with myself. And that was the breaking point was when I told my mom, because the whole time I never said, I don't want to be here. I was trying to tough it out Okay. for that week. And then finally I said, I don't want this. I said it out loud and actually realized that I needed to be honest with myself and what I wanted. And it wasn't that. Uh, and who knows what would happen if I would have stayed down in Santa Barbara, but and went to school and graduated, I know my life would have been so much different. Yeah. So much different than it is now. So I came back, I worked for a year, really figured out what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So you took like a year off of school. Yeah, I took a year off and I did some traveling and then decided, okay, I want to go to Portland State. I want to be in and out in four years. And I'll get a degree in business. I didn't know it was finance at that point, but I knew I wanted to be in business. Okay. So ended up enrolling. Portland State's a really interesting university. So I went in my mind and when I started thinking about college, Santa Barbara was very traditional college experience. You had sororities. You had the majority of students were my age. And then I decided to go to Portland State because I wanted to be in the city. 
But Portland State is more of a commuter school, and it's not a traditional college. It's not a traditional campus. It's in the middle of Portland, and you don't really have sororities or fraternities. You have students that are maybe your age, but you also have a lot of 30, 40-year-olds who are also going to school. So a lot more diversity in terms of age. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't typical. You didn't have a large amount of student life on campus because there just wasn't space for it. And most people lived at home. So it was a little bit different. But um, once I uh, turned 21 and Portland was, oh yeah, you know, our oyster, so to speak. Uh, yeah, yeah. It got really fun. And I love my college experience, but I would definitely say it wasn't traditional. No, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely, all I could think about, what was the car ride back like with your mom? Was it like, I bet she was in a good mood, but you know, like, yes, she's coming home. But for you, though, that's a lot, that's about yeah. 18 hour ride back. Yes. So my parents were both very supportive. My mom, was I think very scared for me she was worried for me so when I told her she was trying to be very calming and like it's okay it's okay you'll figure it out but she was freaking out oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't realize it at the time but looking back she was and so she called my dad in kind of a panic I wasn't in the room Mm mm-hmm this is a story she told me later, and she said, uh, Bill, like, it's not working. She's, like, she doesn't want to stay. And my dad, so my dad is very, we're very close, and he, um, he, he does not want me further than he can drive to see me. <laughs> so he didn't like that I was going to Santa Barbara in the first place. And he actually, so when my husband went to my dad and asked if he could marry me, my dad said under one condition, you can't take her out of the state of Oregon. All right, fact check me. I wasn't further, there. Couldn't be further than a state away. Further than a state away. So Washington, Idaho, Oregon, California. So uh, when my mom had called him and he said, well, what the fuck are you doing? Bring her home. (laughs) And she said, okay, yeah, she's coming home. (laughs) And so when I got home, It was a little bit of a relief because my dad was so happy. (laughs) Oh, there you go. It made me feel a little... And Julian. I called Julian and told him that I was coming home. And so being welcomed made it easier to figure out what I wanted and pick myself up and find out. That's a badass lesson, though. It was. I'm really glad that that it happened, right? Like you learn quite a bit. From yes. that experience. Quite a, yes. And I feel that I was much more efficient getting through college. So if I would have just went in straight to college from high school, uh, I'm sure I would have been in college for six, 
probably six years, starting yeah. with one career. I mean, at one point, I thought I wanted to be an architect. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, like I, you don't know, you don't know at that age what you want. Yeah. And this is something that Joan and I have really talked about is we really believe in the gap year. Yeah. Because it gives you a chance to figure out what you want before you put thousands of dollars into trying to figure it out. Yeah. So um, it's something that I really believe is a positive. I, I think in earlier years, it was kind of seen as a negative, or at least it was very important from my parents' perspective that I went to college because they didn't. So it was something they really wanted for me and my brother. Uh, but realizing that gap year worked out, it's something that I think is, is a positive. I definitely think so. I wish I would have taken, I wish I wouldn't have went to school. Um, just, I just, I felt I toiled a lot and I, uh, the only thing I really gathered from it, and that's not, this is not entirely a true statement, but I felt really stupid. I thought, I felt like it was the world calling me stupid, but that's, that's not necessarily true. I just didn't want to put in the work to yeah. be successful. My time management was fucking atrocious, right? So if I could have <laughs> figured that out, I would have been a lot more successful, right? But I don't know. It wasn't something I was passionate in. I felt like I was always forced to be inside yeah. a box. But at the same time, man, I don't regret going because I made so many friends, connections, and then got a different sort of education than most people did. I got a degree in negotiation and deception, right? I had to fucking <laughs> just figure out a different way to get, because I wasn't going to read or do anything uh, that they asked me to. I had to figure out like how to get good scores by having meetings with professors and negotiating more time to take, no, not time to take this. I just, I flat out missed a final one time and walked in the professor's class, made up a story and said, come to need to take this a different day. And she's like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. I was able to do that. Like I just figured out that, Everything, not everything's black and white. Right. There's shades of gray. And I was like, oh, shit, is the world like this? Maybe yeah. it is. Yeah. And it did. It gave me a lot of perspective to say, okay, I don't have to go to college, but this will be the life that I live if I don't. Yeah. If I'm comfortable with that, I would have kept pursuing it. Yep. Um, it just so happened that. I wanted to get in an industry where I needed a college degree. Yes. Yep. And you're very successful and good at what you do. Thank you. No problem. No fucking problem. I, I believe that statement. I've seen, like, how long have you been doing? Like six, seven years? Yeah, over six years. And from when you started to where you are now, it's amazing. It's been a joy to watch you just climb the ranks. Thanks, Rick. Oh, no problem. Someone want to fact check him on that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Julian's the the Googler right now. Um, I gotta get. I get so excited. I want you to. Uh, I'm gonna have, hopefully, at one point. One second. There you go. Thank you, sir. We're all set. The 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 monitor is live now. <clears throat> So um, I I try and save like 33% of my income. And people on this 
fire? How much income are they trying to save? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So if we look at the top, because there's multiple ways to save. And if you're going to pursue fire, you have to do all of them. So it is a challenge. You got to look at what's your best resources for saving for retirement, realizing what that means. And when we're talking about retirement accounts, you can't touch those until arguably you're 59 and a half. Uh, also, if, if we're planning to retire at 40, we have 20 years before we can access that money without taking a penalty. We also look at when Social Security kicks in. So for our generation, it'll probably get pushed out further. But the earliest you can take it, if you're now baby boomer, is 62. We also look at saving for that 20 years in between. Where do we put our money there? And then also looking at health care. So that's a big concern. And how do we save for health care costs? Because depending on what your passion is, you might be self-insuring for health. You might not get it through a company. So how do you do that and save your dollars in the most efficient way? So if the, the most important thing inside your 401k or IRA, if you're saving for retirement, is enough to get the match, first of all. So if your company does a match, take advantage of that. That's free money on the table. And you want to contribute at least that. Mm -hmm. Ideally, if you're really trying to be financially independent by the time you're 40, you want to have 15% going into your 401k. If you make under a certain income limit, you'll want to do a Roth IRA versus a, a pre-tax yeah. IRA. And you're going to get tax-free growth in that. Outside of that, the rest of that money, so 33%, that's a good number. If you can put 15% into a brokerage account, another savings account that you're going to be able to access prior to 59 and a half, you got to start building that bucket too. Okay. Third account you need is a health savings account. And to be able to have a health savings account, you need to have a high deductible plan, which you may argue that, well, I, that means I have to pay more out of pocket when I go to the doctor. But if you're young, fairly healthy, you're probably not going to the doctor that much. Never. Yeah. And a health savings account is incredible. So if there's one thing financially that I hope people take away from this is to at least ask or do additional research, research on a health savings account because it's the only triple tax advantage account and it allows you to put away money tax free into a health savings account that you can use at any point for any medical expenses anything that comes up when you do your co-pays and you go to the doctor if you need to. You also, so you put in money tax-free, you spend it tax-free, and that account can be invested. So it can grow tax-free. And then if you still have a balance in there, by the time you're 65, it actually will turn into a retirement account. So you can use it for any retirement expenses. 
But it is going to be the most favorable <coughs> and efficient way to save, especially if you're trying to do it on a shorter timeline. So if you split up, you have your 33% and you max out your health savings account, you put 15% or get your match in your 401k, and then you have your brokerage account. Once you have that set up, you have to invest it. If you're trying to have enough funds in order to be financially independent and arguably, well, 15, 10, 15 years, you're going to need to start compounding. So then it's getting those invested and pretty low cost and investments where you just let it let it ride uh, for the next, you know, seven or eight years. Now on a brokerage, uh, yeah, brokerage account, is that liquid? Like, yes, it is. So I could if I needed to buy a house, I'd be like, listen, mm-hmm. I need to pull out money. Is, is Am I going to get penalized for that or no? No. So that's going to be just essentially a savings account that you can invest in whatever you want. Stock, bond, fund, ETF, anything. Weed money or weed? weed yeah. Weed yeah. What I the have f- some I, wait, clients you can just, that... You can just... Okay. Honestly, I feel stupid. No. Because I, I didn't know about this. I thought that once I sent money to a brokerage account, I couldn't access. So I could literally save for a house in that manner? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. I'm fired up. I had no idea. Yes, so you can. Now, what we general rule of thumb is, if you're going to use that money in two years or less, you generally don't want to invest it. Your timeline's too short, and the risk of you losing that money as opposed to gaining is pretty high. Because we know if we invest in the stock market, it's going to move up and down. Mm-hmm. So we really need more than a two-year timeline if we're going to invest it. If we're saving for a house or by the time we're If I was it. saving for a house, right, could mm-hmm. I make it so I cannot touch it until a certain time frame? It would be not, no. Like, it's going to be to your discretion. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. So, but you can use those funds whenever you want. There's nothing keeping you from them. The other thing that becomes very important in just saving for retirement, and I've mentioned it quite a few times, is taxes. And you just have to be really efficient in how you're paying your taxes. So in an individual brokerage account, it's generally more tax favorable than it is an IRA or 401k account to take that money out. Mm Mm-hmm. So even though when you're saving, you're getting all that tax furred, of course, if it's a Roth, you're already being taxed on it. And that's another reason why a Roth can be a little bit more beneficial is because it has tax-free growth. You don't pay taxes on that. But in the brokerage account, you're going to pay a lower tax amount. Okay. So you get more dollars in your pocket. That also contributes later on in retirement. So one of my favorite things to do in my job is income planning. And that's how do we pull money out in the most efficient way? How do we use your pension, social security, your IRAs, and your individual accounts to make it look like you don't have a significant amount of income and we're putting you in the lowest tax bracket, but 
you have complete flexibility to still spend a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's, that's sick. Yeah. That's sick. I, yeah, we're gonna have to sit down after the show and talk yeah. about some stuff. Because oh. the the idea I did I really did not know that. I feel pretty ignorant to this right now. Which you're not alone though. I so going through the financial crisis in 2008 2009. So I talked a lot about millennials and Gen mm-hmm. Z, who are really good savers. But they saw their parents all go through the financial crisis and lose 40, 60 percent of everything they saved. And they're within five to 10 years of retirement. So it's a fire drill for them. Yeah. That transpired to we're actually more skeptical of the stock market. So Gen Z and millennials, even though they're great savers, they're not the best investors. They're not the ones that will immediately go to the market. But if you're going to live out fire, you have to have that. And there's yeah. ways you can protect yourself from that amount of risk. But it's um, going to be important if you want to be financially independent. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you could. I mean, one of the things that Neville talks about is if you want to get rich, you need to own part of a business or a business, right? Or properties. Some right. way like more income. forms of income, right? And then exactly. there's a seven, what is it, seven streams of income principle. You need to have seven streams of revenue coming in at all time. Um, working on that as well. Like, I haven't heard seven before. That's a lot. This, this, what's, I don't know where I even fucking found that. Fact checker, Google that. Seven... <laughs> Seven sources of income. But it is important, and that's kind of why I touch on a side hustle, whether that's income properties, whether that's Airbnb, or if that's just something that you enjoy doing on the side that you can get some income from, that's going to be really important. It's a tax form income. Streams of income. Okay, okay, gotcha. Uh Aha, that's where it comes from. Thank you. So this is good, actually, because just on this list, can you expand it? So right off the bat, four of them are from investment accounts. Yep. So we saw dividends. We saw capital gains. What was it? Keep scrolling. Rental income. Rental income. What is wait? What's capital gains? You, you know, what is that? I have no idea what that is. So capital gains is when you invest in your brokerage account. Okay. Say you open a brokerage account, you take five thousand dollars and you put in an Apple stock. Yeah. You bought five thousand dollars of Apple stock. Let's say three years, you now have ten thousand dollars in Apple stock. Mm-hmm. So you just made five thousand dollars yep. by investing in Apple. Capital gains is the tax you have to pay on that $5,000 you made. Okay. All right. That's what I associate. Like, I always think of that in, in terms of, like, selling a house, right? You have to get, yes. You got to live in a house for two years to avoid capital gains. Okay. Yeah. If you invest in another house, yes. Okay. Yeah. But same concept. Oh, sweet. So right. a lot of these, I mean, I would say they're true because we've actually hit on pretty much all of them. Royalty income. <laughs> 
That'd be nice. Yeah, it would be nice. You could get that maybe from this. Maybe. Someday. Royalty. We expect royalties from this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so the only reason we're here. Damn it. <laughs> they got me, guys. This is entrapment. Get out. <laughs> No, that's uh Okay. All right. So that is so fascinating. I think it's I think it's really important. We all need to uh really double down on like checking, making sure we're not fucking our futures up. And I hope that no one listening to the show is relying on uh social security cuz I don't even think it's going to be there. At some point, yeah. I think it's going to be gone. You, you got to really rely on yourself and get educated about these topics because they're important. Yeah, and that's a really common outlook as well. Uh, we look at the baby boomer generation who was told that they had social, social security. They didn't really need to save. They'd be taken care of in retirement. And uh, social security can cover a good chunk of your income, but it's not enough on its own to support you through retirement. And we're kind of bitter about that. We don't, a lot of us don't believe that it's going to be there. And, uh, we're looking at saying we're not going to rely maybe on government benefits. We're going to have to save more on our own to make sure we can live out our dream and have freedom in that aspect. Doesn't it seem like Social Security, in my opinion, just doesn't it feel like a Ponzi scheme? Like, uh, like, a, like, who's a Bernie? Is it Murdoch? Who's a guy yeah, that? Fu- yeah, yeah. Doesn't it, it just seems exactly like that? It seems like a fucking Ponzi scheme. Like, listen, <laughs> you need to invest in this, and like, it, it works until it doesn't. Like, right? Yeah. So, um, what we look at because a hot topic is Medicare and Social Security especially with a number of the retirees that I work with, and they're already concerned. I have a lot of clients that are concerned that it's not going to be there for them, and they're five years out. Uh, they're they're close, yeah. and they're still having those uh, questions because of looking at our debt, the U.S. economy's debt, and then also with how Social Security's run and Medicare. So they're in Social Security and the Medicare Trust, And as of now, the Medicare trust is scheduled to run out prior to Social Security unless the government does some kind of reform. And uh, what I read is by 2025, if the government did nothing, the Medicare trust would run out of money. Oh, no. They're going to do something. They're not going to let it run out. But it's what are they doing and is it causing just a snowball effect like it has in the past and who's going to pay for it and how. So it'll be really interesting to see in the next coming years. I don't know the answer to that. If we'll have social security or we may, but it's going to look a lot different. We're also living a lot longer. So it's no longer supporting us till we're 85. Social security is going to have to support us until we're in our hundreds. A lot of us. Um, that's, so I didn't even I don't even think about Medicare or any of these things. Yeah, I have I had no. I mean, I'm thinking there might be some business opportunities there. Start a uh, 
Start an HSA, Rick. I already know. I actually do have an HSA. Do you? Yeah, no. I listen to you quite often. I started one, maxed that bitch out. Nice. Yes. And because I didn't even have to think about it, it just gets deducted from my paycheck automatically. It's just gone. So I don't even see the money. Did you invest it? No, it's just sitting in an account. All right. Should I invest it? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk after the show. Because there's a... An investment option on the uh, oh crap, like on the website. Yeah, on the website. Yeah. And I was like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm just gonna leave it here. Yeah, we'll do that after. Okay, sweet. No, seriously, well, let's do it after. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm really excited right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think about Medicare or any of that. Like, do seniors are they able to? I just feel like I'd want to go private insurance, man. Fuck the government. Don't rely on the government for anything, people. But like, do or is that what something that some of your clients are doing? Yeah, a lot of clients are having to go independent or go out to the marketplace to shop for medical because you can't apply for social security or social security and Medicare. You can't apply for Medicare until you're 65 unless you're on some sort of disability. So if you want to retire by the time you're 55 or 60, you got to be able to support yourself health care wise before Medicare even kicks in, before you can even apply to be on it. Uh, so you have an open marketplace. There's a number of different ways you can have medical care. But what you're looking at, depending on how much you need, is about $1,000 a month per person just to pay for insurance. And that's not going to be great insurance. It's going to be comparable, but you're still going to be paying a lot out of pocket. So even if you don't want to rely on Medicare, when you look at the standard Medicare plan, it's about $136 per person. And then you get your supplemental plan, which can be anywhere from, you know, 62 all the way up to a few hundred dollars, depending on how much you want, how much supplemental insurance you want. Okay. So you're looking at a difference, you know, five to $700 a month. From just being on independent health care versus Medicare. <clears throat> okay. Well, that makes sense then as yeah. to why. You know, it's one of the biggest things right now that I see that stops people from being able to retire early. It's being able to under un- afford health care. Yeah. So, and you may be able to take one of your side hu- hustles. Maybe you're just doing something you love and it is for a company that has benefits. Yeah. Yeah, that that might be. Yeah, that's always option. an option. That's, I just didn't even think about it. I, and it kind of, I'm, I'm really getting upset with myself that we don't talk about these things more. Right. right? They're very, very relevant and important because these are, this is shit we are all going to have to deal with. Yeah. Whether you want to or not, the world doesn't care. Your ass is getting old and you are going to die. So you need to plan for these things. And I think it's interesting. I just, I think it's, it's so interesting. You think about these things and I I don't think about like Medicare or any of that at all, but it's very important and relevant. And it is, but we're not there yet. Like, so Medicare for us is so far in our future. And then we're saying, well, it's not even going to be there. 
if that's what we believe. So it's not even on our radar. The only yeah. reason it's on my radar is because it's who I'm working with day in and day out. Yeah, exactly. We're having this conversation all the time. Yeah, but now me believing that it's not going to be there, I need to have a contingency plan for it not being there at all. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about that after the show as well. Because I right. hate the government and I don't believe him. But uh, <clears throat> I, I want to thank you so much for coming on this show. It's been mm-hmm. eye-opening. And I need to utilize you way more as a resource in this area, more than I already am. But really, you've, you've opened my mind. I've learned a lot. And I'm fired up about fire, right. pun intended. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say, anything you'd like to promote or anything before we get out of here and invest some of my cash? Oh, fire. Financial independence. Retire early. Do Thank, it. Fuck yeah. Thanks so much, Des. Thank you. All right.